This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, and thanks for listening. Jerry and I, along with our six other CEOs of the Michigan Feeding America Food Banks, have been changing the conversation about food security for over three years now. And we use this show as a primary conduit to do just that, change the conversation and build a movement, a movement that creates both personal and political will to create a food secure state, a place where the toxic stress of wondering what will I eat and what will I give my kids is no longer a stressor. The idea of creating food security or solving hunger to some is on the surface foolish but not to us. After all, you will never solve a problem that you don't believe can be solved is a mantra that Jerry has taught us. This isn't a start to finish race in a brand new Corvette that goes from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. I wish. Food security is more like building a pyramid, one level at a time until you reach the pinnacle. Today on the show, our co-host and thought leader for this work, Jerry Brisson, walks us through what it will take for us, Michigan, to go to the next level of food security. I have to tell you that the pursuit of the next level of effectiveness is an absolute passion for me. I love it. What does the next level of effectiveness look like? What will it take? What will it mean? What will it cost? And not just in money, but the price that I will need to pay as a leader to help get us there. And finally, not just what it will cost, but what will it be worth? Come back and join me when Jerry begins to break down the five things that will take us to the next level of effectiveness in our mission to create a food secure state. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Jerry Brisson and Dr. Phil Knight here with you. Uh, it's our show today, Jerry, and we really have an exciting topic. Well, I, I appreciate your kind words. You know, you, you do me way beyond justice, doctor. But I will say this. You know, we keep learning. The, the pandemic has taught us a lot of things about how much food we can move and how quickly and to where. We've also learned a lot about our team and the, the key things that it takes to keep our team together to, to be doing this work. We have proven some amazing things when it comes to how we can serve kids and families through the education system. We also know that if it weren't for the donors that came in first and big, we, we wouldn't have been able to focus on our job. And, uh, and then, you know, the last piece is how really tightly linked healthcare and the food we serve are to each other. I mean, you know, people's health is so um, influenced by what they can eat, right? And, and that they have enough and that it's the right kind of foods. And, and you know, people's own individual health has been one of the biggest... Um, resistors, if you will, of COVID, right? Sure. And so when we commit ourselves, and I just said the five things, but I'm going to say them a lot more clearly, you know, yeah. we, we, when, when, we, when we commit ourselves to just those five big things that we've learned, 
through the pandemic work, I think it creates a roadmap for mm -hmm. where we need to go um, as we continue to look at how do we make the safety net work for everyone who needs it. Yeah, we'll probably have to get straight on our metaphors because we have a blueprint. Uh, now we got a roadmap, and I just talked about a pyramid a minute ago. So <laughs> we're going to have to quit mixing metaphors. But at the same time, it starts with a fundamental belief, Jerry. And, and that's something that you have espoused on this show for a number of years. And that is simply hunger can be ended. Yeah. And, and it's, it, not to oversimplify what that means, I think one of the things that, that has complicated ending hunger is it gets mixed in with every other social problem. And it's like, nope, everyone has to be educated and have a job, and we have to fix all of these other things and the wealth disparity and all the... And, and the truth of the matter is, you don't really need to fix all of those things in order to end hunger. But you do need to know who's hungry, how often, how much do they need and by when, and you need to plot that out, not based on a one-size-fits-all sort of... Um, strategy that says, well, everybody gets this much food. No, you really have to look at each individual situation and what are they going through. Now, you can um, group people together based on how close are they already to being hunger-free, right? And you have to group people by, well, what is their plan for themselves and how are they executing that plan, you know? And some people are very robust in terms of the things they're doing to be successful and some people are a little more lost, right? And so you've mm -hmm. got to take all of that into account. I'm not saying it's easy, but what I'm saying is it's possible. You just got to keep at it with with adding partners, adding people who win when the problem is solved, and growing the movement until it's big enough so that the safety net actually works. Then we won't have hunger, but we will still have unemployment. We won't have hunger. We will still have people who aren't educated to the degree they need to be or who are underemployed or who are struggling because they've lost a breadwinner from the mm. home or have a health problem, right? We will still have hunger because no matter what we do, you can't fix all of those things. That's just part of life. But that hunger can be solved for each individual who experiences it if the safety net is right. Exactly. And I think that's a great definition and a great explanation, if you will, of what we talk about when we say, let's create a food secure state, or to some people, let's solve hunger. That, you know, there's always going to be people who are in and out, but that safety net's going to catch them whether they're in or they're out. And, and I think that's really what we're trying to talk about. So let's, let's, let's take the first point that you have here. And, um, it, and I think it's incredible, uh, incredibly important. And I just want to say that before you talk about this number one um, uh, approach to going to the next level of food security for the state, um, that we're going to have Cheryl Kirschenbaum back on the show to talk with us about the direct correlation between climate change. Um, you know, and it's amazing how that conversation has evolved over the years. Uh, even even recently in the vice president debate, both candidates acknowledge climate change as a primary issue that we must face as a, as a human race, and its direct link on to food security. So with that in mind, and as a tee-up, Jerry, hit this one straight down the fairway because it's a vitally important and a great opportunity for us as we go to the next level of food security. 
You know, you know, I never hit anything straight down the fairway. That, well, that just does not happen. <laughs> well, you're living right, so it, so it'll probably glance off the tree and end in the middle of the fairway. But go go ahead, take us through this number one point because I think it's super important. Okay, so the, the, the first thing is we really need to take advantage of the opportunities in the food supply chain to unlock low-cost healthy food. Now, the food supply chain, in brief, is starting at the farm, working through um, the whole from the farm through the, the uh, wholesalers and the suppliers and the food producers and the retail all the way to the home. So the food supply chain is the beginning and the end of food, right, to where it's actually consumed. In that, there is an estimated 72 billion pounds of food that go to waste every wow. year in that whole chain, right? And right now, food banks nationally capture 5 billion of it. So here's the thing. We don't have to capture 72 billion pounds to make this work. But if right. we captured another 5 billion, just another 5 billion, right, which is less than 10% of what's there, and we do it well and we do it in a cost-effective way, that is going to get us a long, long way toward having the food we need to have a food-secure community. I want to say one other thing on this point. I was actually in a conversation with somebody who, who believes a, a different strategy is more important. And he said to me, Jerry, you can't solve hunger by feeding people. <laughs> and I laughed, and he's, like, and he's like, why are you laughing? I said, did you hear what you just said? In fact, the only way to solve hunger is by feeding people. I <laughs> mean, one way or the other, it's the only way to solve hunger. But I make that point because I believe that giving people healthy food that they can use for themselves and for their kids and for their family, you end up stabilizing households. You end up giving them what amounts to money for their household, but at a much less than retail cost, you end up improving their opportunity to be healthy, and you end up, because of the way we work with them, giving them the ability to make better choices for the things they're eating in the best possible way without being heavy-handed. It is so important that we do this food work, and I submit to you the only way to end hunger is to feed people. It's the only way. <laughs> and the food is out there to do it, so I say, why not? Absolutely. And then the impact, as you talk about, the measurable impact it has on a, on a family and on their household in regard to economic value of the food that allows them to buy other things that they need for their life, the stability, the empowerment, and let alone the health, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the show. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. That's point number one, rescuing more food from going to waste. We're already doing 5 billion pounds. If we just did, according to Jerry, 5 billion more, we would take a next step toward the next level of food security for Michigan. Come back and be with Jerry and I as we complete this list of what it will take to go to the next level of food security right here in Michigan on Food First Michigan. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. 
We're back here, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. We're talking about how we as a state go to the next level of food security. Jerry's giving us his top five, and I'm just going to caution you here, just because of time constraints and everything, I'm going to need you to do two in this segment. <laughs> so just bear that in mind with me. So I want you to, I, we picked it up with food waste there. And, you know, we've had Lisa, Lisa Johnson, Dr. Lisa K. Johnson from North Carolina State University, who's been to Michigan to measure food waste here in the, in the state. And so this has been a topic for us, but there are a couple of other things here, Jerry, that you need to hit on for us that will help us go to the next level. All right. Well, uh, so the next thing that we've learned from the pandemic is that food banks with our partner network and with mobile distributions can reach an awful lot of kids and families when schools are closed, right? And we, and we do that really effectively to the degree that when schools closed for last April, May, and the first part of June, what we learned is we can provide those families that get free and reduced price lunches in school, we can reach them all if we work together and we include grocery delivery or grocery pickup as part of the equation. That's the part that food banks play. Now here's the good news. If we include grocery delivery as part of it, or pickup, I should say, grocery pickup, so we go to a school and parents come and pick up groceries they can take home, we can provide the same number of meals that those kids would have gotten in school for literally a third of the cost. A third of the cost. And all it means is you have to trust parents to feed their kids. I'm telling you, parents feed their kids. They do it. It's amazing, right? If they have the food, they feed the kids. And so here's the thing. By treating parents like a respectable group of people who are going to do the right thing, which they are, and by providing groceries so that they can prepare the food they know their kids want and will eat, you reduce waste in the program, you do it at a third of the cost, and you do it in a way that reaches a lot more kids in a lot uh, shorter amount of time. That is a win-win-win. Now, what that means in the long term is... We can make the Summer Food Service Program and the National School Lunch Program significantly more effective. And that is what we have to press to our legislators and our government leaders to say this is something that should be permanent. So, Jerry, what you just outlined and has proof, we have data, we've seen how much we've been able to do, and as you talked about, at a third of the cost. Somebody listening to this might just go, well, Hell, why isn't that the way it is anyway? I mean, that would make it makes so much sense. And so I think it behooves us to walk through this. And you mentioned it at the end, and it is a legislative problem. It is a legislative problem because embedded in this legislation for the funding for these programs is the value that says we don't want to share food with the parents. And in that, there is an there is an underneath a foundation assumption and i'll remind you what happens when you assume that that parents are are not doing the right thing as you've just asserted and so we don't want to reward them 
We don't want to give them food that in their minds would enable them to continue to not do what they're supposed to do anyway. And But I think all the evidence and all of your experience, 30 plus years in this work, tells you that that assumption is just not correct. Well, it's not correct for the vast majority of people. I mean, you can find any problem you look hard enough to find, right? You want to find it, it's there somewhere. But, but here's the truth. When we look at how kids perform and we give parents food to serve them at home, those kids perform well, right? The, the bottom line is the kids are thriving if you give the parents food to cook for them or to make sandwiches, or whatever they're going to do, cereal, or whatever the, the meal is, right? But sure. in order for that all to work, it has to be food that the parents can do something with and that the kids want to eat, right? So so one of the big challenges, and I think one of the big fallacies in the way that we think about our school uh, meal programs is that we say, well, we're just going to make you know food that we think they want, and, and we're not going to give them enough time to eat it anyway, and we're going to see a huge percentage of that food just get thrown in the, in the trash, but we accomplished the goal of the program, which was to provide the meal. I think that's backwards. The goal of the program is that kids eat the meal. <laughs> so which program is going to work better for the kids to eat the meal? And if it's also cheaper, wouldn't that be better? I mean, I agree with you, doctor. It seems so obvious um, that it's, it's, it, it really should be a slam dunk. And it, and it really isn't the only programs that we think food banks can walk alongside our, our government and say, here's ways to take the money we're already spending and make it more effective and maybe even spend less to do more. This is the big one we learned during the pandemic, and we're so grateful for the Michigan Department of Ed and all they did with us to, mm -hmm. to, to prove that, man, does this work. And by the way, it, it's not real hard to figure out how you save money. Fundamentally, you take all the effort that it takes to cook and prepare the food and serve it, and you turn that back into more food and you have the parents do that work. I mean, it's work that parents want to do anyway, but that's the fundamental of it. You're trusting the parents to do their part, and you're getting rid of a huge amount of cost as a result. Yeah, Dr. Diane Godzinski, who's been on the show, certainly is the director of that health and nutrition services at the Department of Education. Jerry, it's conflicting values uh, within the legislation. And one is, as we don't want to give parents any of this food because we feel like that that enables them to not do what we, we think is their primary, one of their primary responsibilities. But it's contrast to a value is we don't want the program to cost very much. Well, the fact of the matter is the program costs a lot of money just to keep food out of the hands of the parents. And you've proven that we can do this at a third of the cost and we can really trust people to do um, what is their primary responsibility. And, and really at the end of the day, it's really about the kids. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I know we got to cover two. So let me work. Let me work number two in, and it'll. It's the easiest and quickest one, and it's this. We got to keep getting new and large gifts to support this work. The fact is, even if we can get the food at low cost or for free, you still have to pay for distribution. You still have to pay for the relationships in the community. You still have to pay for the trucks. You still have to pay for the infrastructure that it takes to do this. And fundamentally, as we grow, we are going to have to grow fundraising, and we are going to have to get new sources of sustainable funding. That's going to come from a lot of ways. That is probably the easiest one of the five to understand. Fortunately, 
The better we understand this work and the more impact we can prove, the more we should be able to attract those investments. And we are looking forward to talking to those investors. And if you listening right now are one of those, we want to talk to you. I'm telling you, you will not make a better investment than helping us solve this problem for the community. Well, I think that in your context right there is about um, community investors and and uh, uh, business corporations, foundations, private sector investors. Let me just take uh, 30 seconds and talk about the state of Michigan, that for the duration of this COVID-19 pandemic, from beginning until today, and I see this continuing, they have come alongside of us and we have come alongside of them, both in the Department of Education as well as in the uh, Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. And we have channeled large amounts of food and funds through our network to help us meet the community need. And uh, it's been a great example of a public and private partnership. And I think that that's included in your number three as well, that those to attract those new levels of partnership for senior citizens to children, to all the working families in between, we've all come alongside of each other. We want those par partnerships to continue and help us all go to the new, the, the new next level of food security in the state. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. And we're back for numbers four and five on Jerry's hit list of what will help us go to the next level of food security. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here, Jerry Brisson. We're doing Jerry's hit list on the five things, the next five things that will help us go to the next level of food security here in our state of Michigan. Jerry, uh, you've, you've covered three of those already, and now we're on number four. And I think this is critical because in our world, we talk about everything rises and falls on leadership. But leaders rise and fall based on their inner circle, the people that they have around them. I read a quote today, and it said, we're the average of the people that we hang around. Yeah, I probably bring the average down, but that's a different, uh, that's a different conversation. <laughs> totally different show. But I don't think that's true, but as a matter of fact, I think it, that you're one of those leaders that, that raises all boats in the harbor. And so, but I do think that, that this is a very important, very important topic, uh, because we do value leadership so highly in this work. But here's the fundamental truth. In order to do all this growth and to accomplish everything that we need to, we have to build the best teams in our food banks. They have to be the best teams. And there's no reason not to have the best teams. And this is one of those things where, uh, you know, everyone can be above average, right? How is that possible? Well, the truth, when it comes to communicating well and engaging people and having good alignment and making sure everyone feels a part of what's going on, being committed to diversity and inclusion and equity, being, you know, very much on top of what it takes to care for the people who are doing the work. Everyone can be above average. We can all do this work. These are skills that we can learn, but we will not manage explosive growth 
which is what we had during the pandemic, if we don't have teams that can weather the storm. And you can't have a team that weathers the storm if you don't invest in it. You've got to invest in their development. You've got to invest in time coaching and bringing people along. You've got to communicate well. And I know there's there's dozens and dozens and dozens of books about how to do this and what to do and when to do it and what order to do it in, and they're all helpful. I'm just going to say, whatever it is, do it, because your team is what will sustain you while you're adjusting and adapting and learning and growing. And if you don't commit to it, then you can't expect it to be big enough, strong enough, healthy enough to get the work done. So we've got to be committed to our teams and what it takes. And I, I want to, this is another little value proposition here that I think is important. A lot of people, when they look at a nonprofit balance sheet or financial statement, they want to see as little as possible going into administration, right? They want to see everything going to program. But I'm going to tell you, if you underinvest in administration, you are making a huge mistake for the long term of your mission. And part of the reasons that nonprofits don't grow the way they need to grow and should grow, even when they have excellent programs, is the pressure not to spend money on administration. It's flat out wrong. You have got to invest in your team, and every corporate leader in their own corporation will tell you how important it is, and many of them, the very next day at a board meeting, will say, this nonprofit shouldn't be spending so much on administration. It's not right, folks. we got to invest in our teams. Well, we have to change that mindset, Jerry, and I think you just laid it out perfectly, and I'm looking at you on the Zoom call pointing at my nose because you hit it right on the nose. So the the underinvestment in in administration in growing your team and getting the best talent available on your team to begin with and then keeping them is vitally important. So we will have the community look at us and particularly funders who will say, uh, how come there's not greater impact and how come there's not more sustainable impact? Well, here it is. It's underinvestment. In fact. Great, great nonprofits right now, and I'm thinking about our food banks, I'm thinking about the Food Bank Council, and I don't mind calling us great because I think we are great, but we run too lean. We run too lean, Jerry. We don't have the ability to cross-train people. If something happens to one of my top people in my organization at the Food Bank Council of Michigan, I'm telling you what, our productivity is going to drop because we don't too dependent on that one person and we're too dependent on that one person because we under in, uh, invest in growing our teams with the right way, the right time in order to keep that level of impact across the community high. So you just hit a huge passion for me. And I think that that's a conversation <laughs> that should be changed. Another one. And, Another it, and one. it is still a way to keep food first. Don't get me wrong. One of the things we learned in the pandemic, and we're, we're running at about 70% or more than we, than we usually do on a monthly basis, we were, able to, it, we were able to sustain that growth for this whole pandemic because, because we have been investing in our team, right? And so, mm -hmm. yes, we're still lean. Yes, we still need to do, we still need to be mindful about not wasting money. We still need to know when we invest in our team what results we expect, right? You can't just throw money at a problem. You gotta be smart about it. But man, when you've got a good team, it makes 
all the difference. And uh, and I and I want to just take a moment to shout out strong praise to the teams at the food banks in this state. What an incredible lift that they've done for the past seven months. And, and they're preparing to do even more. I'm so proud of every single person from the distribution centers, through the fundraisers, through the HR people. I mean, it has just been a phenomenal effort on the part of those teams. Absolutely. It has been. So I would just end this segment by simply saying that nothing of significance ever happens alone and that we need people around us to have great impact and have sustainable impact to meet the community need. So let's change that conversation too while we're at it. But Jerry and I are going to continue this conversation on the other side of this break. You come back and be with us too. All right, we're back for the last segment. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here on this edition of Food First Michigan. And we're talking about Jerry's top five, the things that will help us go to the next level of food security across our state. And you're smiling when I say that to you on the Zoom call that, of course, our listeners can't see. But give us the top five again, or give us the top four, and then lead us into number five, Jerry. You know, I wonder if this is supposed to be the New Year's the New Year's Day show, right? This is, isn't this what no. you do New Year's Day? All right, here no, we go. We'll have, an, we'll have another five of something <laughs> by then. So here's the here's the four we've already talked about. Number one is we've got to take advantage of the opportunities in the food supply chain from farm to fork to unlock low cost healthy food. It's there. We need to get it. We need to get it. Leverage dollars from state and federal programs for food banks because we can serve households better than existing programs. We've proven it with education. There's more work to be done. Again, shout out to the education people that have worked with us on that. They've been tremendous partners. Third, continue to attract new and large gifts. You can think of that as investments, but uh, those investments are going to help propel all this other work, and we definitely have to be focused on that. Fourth, and the one we talked about last was we have to have the best teams in food banks. You know, our food banks have to be made up of really strong, excellent teams, getting the right people on the bus, doing the right things. That has to be part of our investment as we go forward. So that leaves number five. So healthcare um, and the whole healthcare system is somewhat, at least somewhat, dependent on how how well we take care of ourselves, right? And the better we take care of ourselves, the less costly healthcare is for us personally and for the healthcare system and for the government's investment in healthcare, especially over time. And we had the good doctor on the show, um, your your close friend and personal doctor, who you know. Uh, Dr. Bouvier. Dr. Bouvier, who who fundamentally, it, even in his own practice, has seen incredible savings by focusing on food as medicine. So right. number five is about continuing to advance our partnerships with healthcare so that we can improve the health of the people we serve, which is good for them. It's what they want. And tremendously lowers the cost of health care, and then being able to reinvest those dollars to continue that cycle so that we can, over time, really fund the right part of the safety net by just taking care of people that what they're eating is making them sick. 
you know? So let's mm -hmm. help people eat healthier. And of course, that applies to all of us, not just the people we serve in food banks. That applies to all of us. But for the people we serve who struggle more often with high blood pressure and diabetes and other expensive chronic diseases, I'm telling you, it makes their life so much better and more manageable when they don't have to be managing those diseases. So we care deeply about the people we serve. Our partnerships with healthcare are going to be a rock solid investment in the safety net that's going to have so many paybacks to our community. It's, it's just astounding. So we need to keep investing in understanding that impact, describing it, and reinvesting dollars from treating symptoms to treating the root one of the root causes of poor health, which is poor nutrition. So Jerry, you know, we're teasing a couple of extra shows here that are coming up and we need to have Dr. Dawn Opal back on the show to talk about a partnership that she's doing in conjunction with the Michigan Health Endowment Fund with the South Michigan Food Bank out of Battle Creek in a federally qualified health center. And that FQHC is a dynamic partnership that this program is just coming online now. And I think it's going to be really exciting, not just for South Michigan Food Bank and uh, the FQHC there, but is something that looks like we could really take and scale across the entire state. And it, it, it just deepens that partnership between food banks and healthcare. I'm going to make one other really important point on this topic, and that is one of the biggest things that keeps investors from doing more in this area is they're worried that people won't actually eat the healthy food. So they say, so if you give them healthy food, how do you know they're going to eat it, right? But here's what we keep finding and why research is so important, that if you give people healthy food as part of a treatment plan that's aimed at making them feel better, they will eat it. The bottom line is you have to frame these things in the right way so that people understand what it is that's going on. And they do and they will. People are capable of making significant changes in their life, but you've got to frame it right and you've got to be working with them. you got to hold their hand as you walk down the path. You can't just kick them in the butt and hope they get there. You got to yeah. walk with them. You got to hold their hand. You got to learn from it. And then you're going to get better until you make that investment. You will never get better, and that's why we've got a partner and we've got to keep at it. Well, geez, you just defined the entire industry of marketing, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to frame the message in a way that people will receive it. And so, I mean, to communicate that, to, to be in partnership, and, um, you know, certainly personal responsibility and accountability is all a part of that. But, Jerry, really what you've outlined today is uh, illustrations of how we go to the next level of food security and the impact that if food has in a household. And those, those very quickly, those four things of the household impact model, why this is so important to, to families, what are those four? So the first one is the economic value of the food, right? It's like getting money. When you provide food to a family that they don't have to go buy, it's like getting money. Fundamentally, you're increasing the revenue for that household. The second thing is you help to stabilize the home. If, they, if we can take hunger off the table, they can pay their rent, they can pay their utilities, or at least have a greater chance of managing the rest of their uh, life 
because this problem isn't there anymore. The Certainly thing, the trade-offs. The trade that's exactly right. The third yep. thing in the household impact model is health. And it's really helping people manage their health concerns because we know that if you don't eat the right things or you don't or you're not well nourished, you don't do as well. You see it with kids in school especially. So that health item is really critical to the impact that we have. And then finally, we say empowerment. What we really mean is making it easier for people to live their life and make the best decisions for them. In order to move on to the next success in your life and be able to do that, you've got to get rid of the barriers to that success. If one of those barriers is food insecurity, that's something we can take off the table so that you can move on to a healthier, better, more successful life. Those are the four elements, and they are, they are critical to the understanding of our impact. Well, I think in order to remove the barriers to the next level of food security in our state, then we need to do exactly the same thing. We need to face those challenges. You've outlined five of them today. And if we can follow through on those all the way from securing more food before it goes to waste, all the way through securing more opportunities and partners and funds, right on through coming um, alongside of healthcare and healthcare coming alongside of us. All these things, Jerry, you outlined will help take us to the next level of food security for our state. It's time for a little food for thought to go to the next level in any pursuit, whether it's personal, organizationally, or with a higher calling like creating food security, there will be a price to be paid, a sacrifice to be given, and a willingness that has to be shared. Without all three of these, we only will be left with excuses. I think there's too much hope, too much potential, too many lives full of possibility to not pay the price, offer the sacrifice, and share the pain of being willing to do what others aren't in order to accomplish our mission or at least go to the next level of food security for our state. Join us by helping us to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.